Balloons, China, and EMPs. It has the preparedness community talking. This is episode 775 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Hey, are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge in 2023? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ready Your Future podcast. Hey, before we start, I want to give a big shout out to Gary for buying five coffees over at Buy Me a Coffee. Gary, you are such a great supporter of Ready Your Future and what I'm doing in the preparedness community. I really greatly appreciate it. You're always buying me coffees. Thank you so much for that. Uh, guys, if you want to support the Ready Your Future podcast and, and what we're doing, you can always go over to readyyourfuture.com forward slash support. And there's just a lot of different ways that you can get involved over there. All right. So I've been looking at Little House in the Big Woods. This uh, last episode, I didn't do it. I talked a little bit about Mick Rowland's podcast and catching up on on his, uh, on his book, uh, on his series, Siege of New Hampshire. Uh, but uh, started back up with Little House in the Big Woods, and this chapter was called Sugar Snow. And in this one, basically, Laura talks about how the, the ice is melting, the snow is melting, and they're getting all excited about that, wanting to go outside and play because they've been locked up in the home for you know all winter long. And then they wake up in the morning and it's cold and she's shivering and she looks out and there's you know fresh snow has dropped. And so Paul comes in and he's like, hey, there's a sugar snow. And Laura, without, you know, anyone else seeing, she kind of licks a little bit of the snow on uh, Paul's sleeve and realizes it doesn't taste like sugar. So she doesn't understand why it's called a sugar snow. The rest of the chapter goes into uh, maple, the maple syrup process. So Paul leaves to go to his father's home and to, I guess, help out with maple syrup. And he comes back the next day. And uh, or or later that evening, and he has you know maple syrup for the family and little candies for the for the girls and all those different kinds of things. So the sugar snow reference is basically that um, during the maple syrup process, um, as the as the sap would start to you know flow through the tree, that the sugar snow would kind of slow it down a little bit and then get it back up again, and usually that caused for a better harvest of the maple syrup. And I've never done this before. I'm just kind of going off of, of the book and what they've, uh, what they were sharing here. And so because of that, because of the sugar snow and because of that extra little, uh, blessing from mother nature, um, Paul's, uh, dad or, uh, Laura's grandfather was going to be able to have a lot more maple syrup and they were going to be able to not have to buy so much sugar in, you know, in town. So that was one of the big jaws. And then again, the, sh uh, the show, I was going to say the show, the chapter ends with the idea of they were going to have a big celebration and there was going to be a dance and, and all that good stuff about talking about how Maul uh, was going to be able to wear her dress that the girls had never seen her in. And it was this big fancy dress. So it kind of goes to the fact that, you know, 
being able to have a good harvest or being able to have a good harvest of whatever it is, whether you're, if you're gardening at home and you, you know, you're able to have a good harvest of tomatoes or, or if, if right now, if you have chickens and you're, they're laying eggs, you know, the money that you can save because of that, you know, is, is a blessing there. And then how, Again, how we're so spoiled, you know, we have candy all the time if we want it or whatever. I mean, uh, dances, if you want to go dancing clothes and all that kind of stuff. And, and just how for them, the simple things of life was, you know, one of those, you know, big memorable moments. Right. And so, uh, I guess I, I like that about, um, the little house in the big woods, those, those small things that would to, to us would seem like nothing or big memories to them. So guys, if you're interested in Little House in the Big Woods uh, or the Little House in the Prairie series or any audio books out there, if you're listening to podcasts, you're, you're going to love audiobooks. You can go to audiopreps.com and you can go look at some of the uh, the ebooks that I recommend over there. Or, I'm sorry, the yeah the, the audiobooks that I recommend over there. Some are fiction, prepper fiction. Some are going to be uh, just books that I've listened to that I thought were valuable that I've put up there that might you might find valuable as well. So again, that's audiopreps.com. All right. So if you haven't noticed, I'm suffering a little bit from being congested. It's the allergies. It's the I, I wrote to those that are in the top preparedness articles. Those who who get that. I'm just like the Texas Texas weather right now seems like it's very bipolar. At least here in Houston. Seems like it's very bipolar, and it's just like hot and cold and hot and cold and hot and cold. It's just jacking with my with my allergies. So anyway, so you'll hear that. You'll notice it a little bit, but I'm going to press through and uh, talk about this article. Uh, this article is from survivalmom.com, and so Lisa Bedford over there actually wrote this article a while back in 2015, but I guess because of all the... The, the conversation and the balloons and what, you know, China and the balloons and all that kind of stuff is, you know, people have been talking about that. I know people are talking about that in uh, the exclusive email group. They're talking about the balloons. And I've seen a lot of emails go back and forth about, you know, what the purpose of and you know, just people talking a little bit about possibilities. And so she grabbed this article and kind of refreshed it a little bit. I thought it was an interesting one. Um, of course, anytime we talk about EMPs, people are going to be interested in it. Um, but I think there's some valuable things here. And I'm going to read the whole thing. It's not a very long one. I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, there are some cool links here that you can go check out. And then I'm going to come back and then just give you some of my ideas and uh, ways that I uh, think about EMPs and the possibility of something happening when I am not home, when I'm away from home. And recently I attended a conference in San Antonio. So I, uh, you know, this is kind of fresh on my mind. So again, this is coming from the survivalmom.com. Um, the, t- the title of the article is stranded, but determined how to get home after an EMP strike. So let's go ahead and jump into this one. An EMP strike has been on everyone's mind lately. Many conversations have been about how to prepare before one occurs. That's good, but what if you're traveling when an EMP occurs? How are you preparing to get home after an EMP strands you far away? So one of the most haunting emails I've received this year is from Mallory. I recently started reading your blog, I love it, and have your EMP first 15 steps info. I have a couple more business trips planned for the rest of 2015. Again, guys, this was uh, it's been a, a long time ago writing this article, but she's refreshed it. 
and some are quite a distance from home. I wondered if you could give any advice at all on what I should prepare for, gear-wise or even mentally. The thought of an EMP happening when I am not at home, maybe not with my spouse and children, it scares me. I just want to be as prepared as I can be, because who knows when something like this could happen, two minutes from now or two years from now. So I think that's very interesting. You know, this person has been wondering about this. He was wondering about this in, in 2015. And so, you know, how many years ago is that? We're talking about seven years. Hopefully she's not hasn't been living in fear all those years, you know, every time you go. Um, I'll get to that a little bit more here as we as we move forward. So once you're aware, and th- that was the email there, now going back into the rest of the article. So once you're aware of a power grid failure due to an EMP, cyber terrorism, or a solar event, you can't help but share Mallory's worries. Not to mention readers of One Second After become paranoid about being even a few miles from home. So what is the state of our critical infrastructure according to the government? So frankly, when I read Ted Koppel's book, Lights Out, it did nothing to ease my concerns. In fact, in this book, he clearly lays out how our nation's leaders have done virtually nothing to protect our power grid from any type of attack, nor are there effective plans in place to help the millions of citizens who would be completely unprepared. He knows because, as part of his research, he interviewed those who should know, such as Janet Napolitano, Leon Panetta, and Admiral William Courtney, who spoke during a Pentagon news briefing in 2015 on the topic of power grid vulnerability. There is a link to that briefing if you want to go check that one out. I thought it was kind of interesting. So uh, moving on, when the commander of NORAD says the fragility of our critical infrastructure causes me great concern, Well, I think we're not out of line to also be concerned, especially when events like this attack on California substation occurs. So that California substation, I know that I remember that was something that we all talked about in the preparedness community. That was back in 2014. So there is a link to that one if you want to. But you think about it now, we've seen a lot more of that here recently. And so, you know, that's that's kind of concerning because you can have some yahoos for whatever political agenda they have go and cause you to be out without power for a week, you know, and uh, this causes a lot of it's not irreparable, but it, it's going to cause a lot of pain and, and uh, heartburn for you right there. Right. So, uh, you know, that's happening more and more. So, again, it's always something to kind of be thinking about behind you know, the back of your mind. So moving on here, you can never get home or can you? One memorable example from Lights Out that might provide at least one solution for Mallory and others in her position is Craig Gephardt's plan. Greg is an avid bicyclist and a prepper. They live in an upscale area of St. Louis and his business required that he make frequent business trips around the country. From the book, Craig worries that he may be trapped out of town and that all conventional forms of travel could be shut down. He always carries enough cash so that no matter which city he's in, he would be able to buy a bicycle, biking shoes, and whatever other equipment he would need to take him back to St. Louis. Craig assumes that he could ride 150 to 200 miles a day. He thought about this a lot. Last place I want to be is in a major metropolitan area during a time of national crisis. Craig's plan might be a very effective one for him in the case of a cyber terrorist attack. This type of attack on our power grid would disable the grid itself. However, it wouldn't be as devastating as an electromagnetic pulse. Craig has realized that getting home from hundreds of miles away when the world has erupted into chaos won't be easy. So he's come up with a plan and is training for that possibility. 
If this should happen, there will be countless scenarios that he may not have anticipated, but at least he has a plan for getting home. Next, we'll talk about what your plan should be. So create your plan to get home after an EMP. You must plan how you'll get home after an EMP attack before you travel. It's important that you assess your particular circumstances. Don't follow some generic list or you'll be ill-prepared for the obstacles you'll face. You'll want to create a get-home bag that you always carry with you when traveling. So six variables to consider in your plan. Transportation. Planning on hoofing at home? Better start getting into super shape now and invest in an excellent pair of walking shoes, boots, and multiple pairs of socks. If they're waterproof, that's even better. Tuck some shoe goo in your emergency kit for quick repairs and for a quick waterproofing job. Also, include a small first aid kit with moleskin to protect against hot spots on your feet. Having blisters is like having a leaky tire you can't keep the air in. Number two is water. Where you are stranded at and the terrain between you and your home will determine if you'll be able to find a plentiful supply of water on a regular basis. If you're not sure, you can stay where you are. Water weighs 8 pounds per gallon, but something like this water straw weighs next to nothing. However, having something that allows you to filter large quantities and carry some H2O until the next water source would be invaluable. What about food? Can you set traps, hunt, and fish using alternative methods? Can you identify edible and medicinal wild plants? Do you know which parts are edible and which are poisonous? Do you know how to start a small fire for cooking and purifying water? And if so, what will you be using for a cooking pot? Consider a tiny lightweight camp stove, for example. These are just a few of the issues to consider. Then there's shelter. Putting up a lean-to is one thing, but surviving the elements within that shelter is quite another. A small lightweight tent in your emergency kit would be a smart idea. Number five is security. You may be surrounded by people more desperate than you more fit, more strong than you. Can you survive on your wits alone? What self-defense skills do you have? And lastly, there's weather and terrain. Those will both change as you travel. Are you ready for all possibilities? Do you know of alternative routes that might be easier or would allow you to avoid populated areas? So here are five ways to increase survival chances. In my view, being stranded from home in a post-EMP world would leave you with few options. However, it's not entirely hopeless. As part of my own research into EMP survival, here are a few viable options in case the worst really does happen and you are dozens if not hundreds of miles from home. Number one is head home regardless. Carrying with you the basics of survival or whatever you can acquire Survival novels are full of tales of determined men making their way home to their families over hundreds of miles. This option might work if you are in good physical shape, have no health issues, and are blessed with an enormous amount of luck. It wouldn't hurt if the terrain between you and your family has multiple supplies of water. Forget it if you have more than just a few miles of desert to traverse. Number two is stay put and lay low. If you have the skills and knowledge, set up a wilderness camp and use your ingenuity and Boy Scout skills to live off the land. You'll end up dying a pretty quick death, most likely, but this is an option. Number three, stay put and try to become an indispensable part of another household or group. If you have a bank of life-saving skills, such as knowing how to grow and preserve food, medical training, or can help guard your new group of fellow survivors— When the infrastructure begins to be rebuilt, you can then begin heading home. Stay put 
Number four is stay put and start a new life. This option isn't necessarily pessimistic. Given the circumstances, you may have no other choice. And when I see something like that, I'm thinking of like being across the world, right? Like being in another country over where you had to take a plane to get to. Although uh, I remember one of James Wesley Rawls's books did talk about, you know, coming home. I can't remember the the exact, but it was like um, the exact place where he was at. But it was like coming uh, from, you know, South America to Central America, you know, up to Mexico and then, and then making it into the United States. So, uh, you know, that was an interesting book to read. And then last is do a little bit of both. Combined stints on the road, always heading homeward with time spent, staying with a community or with a family. They might be grateful for the additional help with physical labor and whatever practical skills you possess may help get them through a difficult time until you're able to travel again. Whether the new awareness of a very likely event of a significant cyber attack on the power grid is because of a book or a weather balloon, these are potential realities we should all be considering. Sadly, our comfortable lives are built on very shaky foundations, and the very government we pay taxes to has no plans to save them if the worst happens. Therefore, travelers need to consider an EMP strike that can leave them stranded far away from home, making it a challenging and often difficult journey back. However, with the right planning and preparation, you can increase your chances of finding your way back to your loved ones. It's important to have a solid understanding of your surrounding, stay alert for danger, and always have a backup plan in case things go wrong. Remember, the road ahead may be long and difficult, but with the right mindset and resources, you can get home safely and start rebuilding your life. All right, guys, so that is it for this article. Uh, Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so that way you can go and there's a lot of great um a lot of great links that you can click to here but let me go ahead and give you just a little bit uh i guess some of my ideas and uh, where i'm coming from so let's first back up just a little bit and let's talk a little bit about emps there are many ideas about emps some of them are based on research. Some of them are based on novels and some of them are based on just opinions that people have put out there. I have read almost all the articles out there on EMPs throughout my years in you know running prepper website. And again, I always talk about, I know that the, you know, anything on EMP is going to get clicks. That's, that's one of those things, you know, if you, if you have a blog and you want to get some clicks, write an article on EMP and put it out there and people will, will click on it. Right. But there are some articles that I have read and that I linked to when I owned prepper website that were research based that talk about an EMP and how things probably aren't going to be as bad as you think they might be. Now, there are people that claim there's research-based articles that are, you know, like, no, it's going to be really, really bad. And then other research-based articles that it's not going to be as bad. So for instance, I remember one article that talked about the most, and this was like, they did, they did research on it. They, they did, they put, uh, vehicles inside of a, an enclosed area where they set off an EMP. They did all these different kinds of things. And really the most delicate electronics and stuff tied to the grid would actually go down, but not all electronics, not every piece of electronics would go down. So for instance, in a vehicle, a vehicle they found would still run, but some of the display, like if it was like all decked out with electronics, some of the display stuff wouldn't work. So if it was displaying a clock, 
your clock or your radio might not work. Um, if you had like a backup camera or something along those lines, that might not work. But for most, for the most part, the vehicle would still run and still be able to get you home. And so if you're considering being away somewhere and you can get a vehicle, then that's one of those things to consider. That's one of those things you just want, you know, you want to have a lot of gas, I guess, to be able to do that. So for instance, I recently had uh, attended a convention in San Antonio. And one of the things that I like to do is like before I park it in the parking garage and, you know, go to the conference and do all that kind of stuff. And I'm there for a couple of days. I want to fill up on gas. So I leave, when I leave, I have a full tank of gas or at least a, a half a tank of gas, you know, more than a half a tank of gas. Uh, there are some places along the way that I like to stop yet, you know? And so, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that I fill up, even if I don't have to, I want to make sure that I top off my tank and have a tank that is topped off so that if I need to, I don't have to stop anywhere. I can go ahead and go from, uh, you know, San Antonio to Houston. And that's just a three hour trip. So I have n- no problem problems making that. When you think about an EMP, there is going to be like that golden hour, right? And I, I lose, I, I use the word hour loosely. There's going to be time between what happened and then when the chaos sets in because people are not stupid. I mean, the, the idea of an EMP, the grid going down, I think more people are understand that more than ever. Right. So here in, in Texas, because we had, you know, winter storm Yuri, it was funny. Um, I was listening to people, uh, at, at work talk about that recently. Um, you know, and they're not in preparedness or anything like that. They were just, they brought it up. And so, you know, when the grid almost went down in Texas and they were saying like we were minutes away from it going down and not coming back up in months, right? So you have that aspect of it. Uh, People have been talking about it. We have all these substations that have been attacked just by small arms fire, you know, people with with, uh, rifles and stuff and uh, terrorizing that. Uh, We've had things like Ted Koppel, who, you know, we had lights out already, which was, uh, you know, a fictional book that many people in the preparedness community always recommended and and many people have read. And then you had uh, Ted Koppel's book, you know, One Second or Lights Out, I think is what what he entitled it. And there's another book, another fictional book called Lights Out as well. But anyway, so you have that book that came out. And so there's people that understand what an EMP would do, or they understand what would happen and how chaos would, would kind of, uh, you know, the world would devolve if there was no electricity, no power, people understand what would happen there. So it wouldn't take too long for people to understand, but there is going to be that time between what happens and when all the, the real chaos sets in. And that's when you really need to make your move. And that's when you really need to, you know, you, you need to do all those different kinds of things that you, you, you prep about, right? Even if you're home in an EMP and that happens, maybe it's grabbing cash and going up to the grocery store and they might not be able to run their registers and things like that, but you could talk to the manager and say, Hey, I have cash. I want to go ahead and buy some, buy some groceries. And you try to stock up as much as possible. So you have, you know, that kind of mentality, right? So that golden hour between what happened and when everyone finally realizes the poop has hit the fan and it's the end of the world as we know it, you know, and chaos sets in. So you, you have that there. 
But then if we're talking about being away from home, you really need to think about your get home kit and you need to plan accordingly to every different trip. So you you don't want to just have a get home bag and that is like your generic get home bag for everything. I think different trips are going to require different gear and, and different things inside of that. So you need to put a little bit of thought into that. So the way that I would pack going to San Antonio is going to be different than the way that I would pack if I, uh, you know, when my wife and I went up to uh, Natchitoches, Louisiana for their Christmas festival, right? And so it's a lot farther away and different terrain and, uh, you know, just different ideas there. It would be a lot longer to get home if that was the case. So you need to think about your get home bag and plan that according to where you're going, how far away and all those different kinds of things. Before your trip, and I like what the the article talked about, you know, before your trip, you have to have these things prepared beforehand. So one of the things that you might want to do is have a really good map. Um, Maybe it's a key map if you, uh, you know, if you can get one of the states, um, you know, back in the day, I remember, I mean, dad had a key map. It was very, very detailed. It wasn't always accurate because things would change. And Houston has been you know, blowing up with just, you know, people coming throughout the years, but have a really great map. Now, if you're, if you're not worried about like, let's say your phone going down, there is a map and we, somebody brought it up in one of, um, our meetups, online meetups recently, it's called the G the GAI GPS or GAIA GPS. So you can download it for, you know, Android phones or uh, phones, uh, Android, Android phones or iPhones, and you can download it. So it's on your, uh, on your device. You can download the maps so that you actually have the maps on your phone. And then what I liked about it is when you signed up for it, they were sending you emails kind of like, hey, this is how you do things. And so I really, I really like that. I haven't played around with it too much, but I did download it to my phone. So you could have a very detailed map, even if you couldn't get to the internet. So I think that's really, again, if the the most delicate of uh, devices are, are, are going to go, your phone still might, uh, still might work. If you have it, you know, in your, in your backpack, in your, uh, you know, on you, whatever. And it's kind of isolated a little bit. Um, there are things that you can put, you know, little pouches where, you know, EMP proof that you can put a phone if you really want to go that route. So there's those available too. The other thing I do is I try to map it out on Google and I know people don't like Google and there's a lot of reasons why not to like them, but I really do like their maps because it offers a lot of flexibility as far as what you can do, zooming in, zooming out, doing different things. Uh, For instance, um, I can map out going to San Antonio and coming back and looking at the routes um, and I can do the, the, you know, my truck. I know that it's going to take me like, two hours and 40 something minutes or something like that. But then I can also change it to walking and in walking, it will tell me that it's 68 hours worth of walking. So, you know, it's less than three days that I can make it back from San Antonio if I really needed to. So that's really, that's really important. I mean, it it really wouldn't be three days. It'd be longer than three days because you're probably going to rest some time and, you know, in the evening time and things like that. 
but at least you can see the route, the best route, the fastest route, um, because sometimes the fastest route walking is not going to be the fastest route driving. And so you can look at that. You can also zoom in and zoom out of it and find those places where you might want to stay. Like if you did have to stay overnight somewhere, where is a, a nice bunch of uh, you know trees where that I could stay kind of hidden and spend the night there and, and not worry about someone messing with me on the side of the road. Or I could look at different water sources and I can say, okay, hey, here's a water source here. Here's a water source there. I can kind of you know, know that. You can also print it out and have, it, have a hard copy if you really needed to or if you're going to use it in combination with that, uh, the other GPS software that I was talking about, you could, you could do that as well. So I think that you can look at that, see what, what, where are potential stops that you would want to make, where there, where might there be potential problems? Like, Hey, if I was on foot, I don't want to go through this area. I want to go around this area. And so you can kind of map that out as well. So before your trip, you really need to, uh, to look at that, spend a little bit of time doing that. It, It would really be worth it. Then in the gear, I know that in the article, Lisa talked about, you know, are you going to be trapping? Are you going to be foraging? Are you going to be fishing? Are you going to be doing all that kind of stuff? And I really think that it depends on how far away you are from home. So for instance, in, in my example that I gave San Antonio, you know, I, it's, it's 68 hours away. I'm not going to carry trapping, you know, trapping wires with me. I'm not going to carry any kind of things to fish with. I'm not going to carry anything, uh, to, to camp overnight with like that, like a big tent, something along those lines. What I'm going to do is I'm going to huff it as fast as I can from San Antonio to get home. It's 68 hours, right? So I don't want to set up camp. I don't want to, you know, forage for food. I don't want to do all those different kinds of things. One of the things that I, I did this last time going to San Antonio is uh, I took a lot of trail mix with me. And so during lunch, instead of eating in the conference center, because it's way crazy expensive. And uh, most of the time there was things that, you know, in the evening times that we were doing, that I would just have a couple of packs of troll mix with me and I would eat those for lunch, you know, along with some water and I was good to go for, for most, most of the day. And so I, I had a lot of those that I wound up bringing back as well because I didn't eat them all. So I would have something like that to be able to eat and to take with me, to be able to kind of keep me going and keep that energy there. Um, I think having some kind of water filter is always important, but those are really easy to, to, to carry. They're really light and really easy to have. So I wouldn't, I would look at my gear and I would look at the way that I would be traveling. I would be traveling light so I can go fast. And I, I, you know, I would want to do that. If you were like, you were visiting Canada and you lived in Texas, things might be a little bit different for you, right? You might need to have supplies to be able to trap and to fish and to all those different kinds of things. So your gear is really going to be determined on how far away you are and how fast you can make it back. Uh, that's, that's something always to kind of think about. One of the uh, the guys that she talked about here, I guess she was quoting the, the a piece from Lights Out with Ted Koppel, is the guy who was a bicyclist and he was going to carry enough money with him to 
throw down and give somebody some money for a bike and, you know, buy some biking pants or, or biking shoes and be able to head home from there. And he figures he can go 150 to 200 miles, you know, in, in a day. That's, that's a lot, you know, but he's a bicyclist and he's used to that. I've always talked about having a foldable bike. And I think those are, are, would be worth it. If you are, let's just say you're a truck driver and that's something that you, you know, you're concerned about. You're concerned about an EMP being able to have some kind of foldable bike that you're able to put up, maybe an e-bike that you're able to charge with solar that you can, uh, you can uh, ride and, and save your strength a little bit, but then also you can uh, pedal if you needed to. That might be something to consider. Uh, I would just think about the supplies that you would need to be able to like repair tires and, you know, pump up tires and, and, and things like that. So uh, tools to help you, you know, with your bike. But that is always, I think, something that you could do is have a foldable bike and that would get you get you going. Again, remember that golden hour before, you know, when it, right after it happens and before all the chaos kicks in. If you can make a lot of headway home before that and know where you're navigating and navigate around, you know, big areas where, you know, crime could be already setting in a lot faster than, you know, regular places or not regular places, but I don't know, maybe like the suburbs or whatever, you can go around big metropolitan areas a lot faster. That will get you home uh, a lot faster than just hoofing it home. If you thought about that. And some of those aren't very expensive and you can find some of those on Craigslist and uh, on Facebook marketplace and things like that. I know that I have found some, uh, you know, and I was, I inquired about one, one time I was just a little late because they had already sold it, but I, I wanted one just to kind of test it out and see what it was like and, and to have one. And uh, I found a good deal on it, but they had already sold it. Another thing to consider here is if your family or spouse is on board with prepping, let them know your plan. Let them know like, hey, if, if, you know, and you can just have this conversation. If there ever was an EMP or something happened when I was away from home, I would try to get home to you. I just want to let you know, you know, uh, and maybe there's specific conversations you would have or depending on where you go. Like if you go overseas, you know, that might be a different conversation. You might want to have that conversation even if your spouse wasn't on board with prepping. You know, maybe that was one of the, one of those things that you would want to talk about and, uh, just to, to let them know, but anyway, they might think you're weird or maybe you're trying, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but, uh, you might want to let people know like, Hey, this is what I plan to do. If something like this goes down, right. I, I still think that an EMP, I, I'm not concerned about an EMP. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it out there. Right. I still think we should be more concerned with the grid going down because of old infrastructure, uh, weather and cyber terrorism. I'm not as concerned about an EMP. And, and the reason being is this, I think that any nation that's going to set off a powerful EMP that downs a whole country is just preparing for mutual destruction. Now there are some, probably some, you know, religious zealot countries out there that, that wouldn't care. I mean, they, they would be thinking they're ushering in, you know, the, their, their version of, uh, the end of the world or whatever. So some of them might not care about mutual destruction, but most everybody else does. And so if you, you think about that, we have assets out in the oceans that if someone was to blow up an EMP, you know, with a, 
a, a weather balloon or they were to bring in a missile into the Gulf of Mexico and shoot it off, you know, from there into, you know, it goes over the, the middle of the United States and it sets it off there. Then if that happened and an EMP took out, you know, the nation, the grid or all that kind of stuff, then our submarines that are equipped with nuclear would do the same, you know, out there as well. So you just, and, and it's very possible that they would do that to all the other nations so that no one has an advantage. That's always the fear. Like there's an EMP and then Chinese, you know, after a year come in and mop up everything. Uh, I, I don't think that's the way that it would be. Right. So I know that's just me. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have read a bunch of fiction and, you know, maybe you're looking at things a little bit different or maybe you just don't have the trust that you have or, or that I have in uh, the government not allowing anybody to have the upper hand. I, I don't know, but I just I don't think that we are in danger of a, a EMP taking out the whole grid in the whole United States. Again, I'm more concerned about old infrastructure that hasn't been upgraded, uh, weather events where the, you know, the power stations, the power companies aren't prepared for or cyber terrorism that, you know, people, you know, will just set it off. And it's very hard to figure out where a cyber terrorist attack is really coming from. But here's the thing with all of that said, we are living in very curious times, right? Very curious times. So many crazy things going on. And I do think about this every time I leave home and go somewhere, which is usually a conference, right? It's, it's not very often at all, but I do think about this, but I don't lose sleep over it. Like Mallory, who sent in that email in the article, I, I'm not so concerned about it that I lose sleep. I know what I would do. I know how I would prepare for it. I know what I would, uh, how I would go into action for it. So I don't lose sleep over it, right? I know what the future holds for me. And that's why I don't worry about this so much. Well, everyone, that's it for episode 775. And like always, I'm going to link this article in the show notes so you can go check it out and all the other links. Hey, if you found this episode valuable, I would appreciate a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And if you would like to support Ready Your Future, you can visit readyyourfuture.com forward slash support or check the link in the show notes. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you my blackout checklist. You want this one, right? And there's some extras uh, with it as well so that you know what you should do before, during, and after the lights go out. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.